welcome to season two of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Our mission is to provide one-on-one and small group literacy tutoring to children with dyslexia or who are at risk for reading failure. It is our vision to create a center where children can have access to high quality tutoring no matter what their family's economic background or skin color. In our mind's eye, this center would also be a place where adults can study our written language together and where parents find support. Listener support is paramount to how much we are able to support kids in our community. Season one helped us raise $8,000 and we were able to fund two year long scholarships for the 2020-2021 school year. Mindful Literacy Columbus has three main goals for 2021. We want to secure $10,000 so we can join the Columbus Foundation Donor Advised Funds, $25,000 to hire a part-time grant writer, $40,000 to rent our space. Here are three ways you can get involved in Mindful Literacy Columbus. You can share this podcast and you can like and follow Mindful Literacy Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. Pause this podcast right now and go like and follow before you forget. Our Facebook is mindful.literacy.columbus. Our Instagram is mindful.literacy.cbus. Make sure to share posts to your feed and tag your friends. You can also volunteer. There are four opportunities to volunteer with Mindful Literacy Columbus. Even if you don't live in Columbus, first you could join the Grant Writers Guild. Writers are needed. Second, you can join our summer camp in August. Counselors are needed. Third, we need volunteers for our first annual conference for kids and grown-ups. Even coordinators are needed. This event will be held in August. Finally, you can volunteer to be a mentor and editor for Beehive Press. We especially need high school and college-age volunteers who enjoy studying English or graphic design. If you would like more information about volunteering, please send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can also email our Director of Impact at Megan, that is M-E-G-H-A-N, at mindfulliteracypractice.org. Thanks again for your support, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Jenny Spees is the owner and principal advocate at Ohio Student Advocacy. Jenny began her journey in advocacy as a parent. Jenny's philosophy on advocacy always begins with educating parents and students about their rights and the shared responsibilities of families and school districts. Understanding that relationship with a school district can be long-term and can impact an entire family Jenny believes strongly in beginning with a collaborative approach to problem solving, even for the most complex student profiles. Working throughout the state, Ohio Student Advocacy represents students of preschool age through high school graduation in public, private, parochial, and charter schools. Jenny supports students with a wide range of needs. I have worked with Jenny on many cases as an intervention specialist, and I have to say, Jenny is first class. Jenny and I have an honest conversation about our concerns for kids in special education during COVID and about our hopes for how COVID may be the catalyst that empowers educators to change how we do school for the better.
episode is sponsored by Live Lightly Supplements. Live Lightly Supplements deliver the highest quality nutrients at an affordable price. Designed to address common nutrient deficiencies, Live Lightly Supplements will help you feeling at your very best. I have been 90% vegan for almost a year. Sometimes when I do eat meat or dairy, it upsets my stomach. My mom lets me take the digestive enzymes to help me digest the animal proteins. Depending on my monthly moon cycle, the time of year, and my overall nutrition, I have been taking various combinations of Live Lightly supplements for nearly two years. There are several subs that I always make sure to have on stock, like the digestive enzyme, magnesium malate, and spirulina. I highly recommend getting started with a gut health kit And if you struggle with severe hormonal fluctuations during your cycle, there are several combinations of Live Lightly SUPs that may improve your internal balance. Dan Jensen and Susan Ashley Hunt are the husband-wife duo behind Live Lightly Supplements. They are organic, GMO-free, vegan, and made in the USA. Get started taking your nutrients to the next level by visiting www.livelightlyyoga.com forward slash supplements. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Hi, Dr. Bennett. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy that we were able to find time to speak with each other. It's always good to get a chance to catch up. So thank you for asking me. Yeah, and I'm actually really excited about um, hearing from you in terms of, you know, what you've been seeing in the field. You work with so many students and families across the state, and this is an unprecedented time in education. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about how it's on one side of the coin, a time where, you know, in in an already imperfect system, you know, I feel like in light of COVID, it's, it's shed, it's exasperated some of the imperfections. And on the other side of the coin is, okay, great. Now, what are we going to do with this information and how will we move forward together and, and make special education even better? So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think this time has been, I think my biggest concern, the time that we have had since March is really kind of the widening of the the gap. Um, And that I think you really can look at in two ways. I think you can look at it as the widening of the gap between those who have resources and those who don't have resources. And I think you can also look at the widening of the gap between different ability levels, between students with special education needs and general and regular education students. So kind of to address both of those, I think the first part of the widening of the gap of kind of the haves and the have-nots has been pretty significant. Um, And I'm sure you you probably see this as well, but, you know, you take a look at your different tiers of schools. You have your private schools, which mostly in our area have been mostly everybody's in five days. You have your suburban public schools, most of whom have been in a either part-time virtual or a hybrid type of mode with some in-person instruction, many of whom are actually doing a good job of emphasizing special education students who need to come in and get that in-person instruction. And then you have your large urban public school systems who really have been entirely virtual for 
the, this entire time since March and then throughout the beginning of the 2021 school year. You're really seeing a big difference in what families are able to provide and what schools are able to provide amongst those three different levels. You see parents who are able to afford things like tutors and pods and different enrichment experiences. And the students who are in the larger urban schools are just not able to sustain that type of support. And that's, it's really hard. It's heartbreaking. Columbus City Schools just reported that their chronic absenteeism rate is 66% right now, which is extraordinarily high. It's over double what it was last year at this time. And they have over 36% of their students are, are failing right now from first quarter in fall. So that's, it's incredibly tragic. And there's just a lot of needs out there. That said, we are seeing throughout all three of those different levels, special education students that are not progressing at the same rate as their general education peers, because they're students that really, really benefit from frequently in-person instruction. And that's something that not everyone has access to right now. So it's it's going to take a, a long time to figure out how all of this is going to settle out. How are we going to look in the future to see how this this year or however long this ends up being is going to impact students from a progress standpoint and ultimately from a long-term standpoint? I like my body is shaking right now because I the, the way that you put that so clearly in terms of, I call, you know, I call it the Matthews effect between the haves and have nots, you know, but then I'm thinking to myself when I'm hearing you talk about the widening of the gap between gen ed and special ed, no matter what, no, no matter what you have or have not. So I'm thinking about the kids who are like in this double whammy position of a hundred percent distant learning and in special ed. I'm just like, I'm shaking. My heart is like, it's accelerated right now because I mean, when you take that perspective and you know, that's really not good. It, it's, it's going to be vastly impactful. I mean, the superintendent of Columbus city schools is calling it the last, you know, the lost class in the last years um, for their, you know, and, and if, you know, if I'm really honest, accessing special education supports and resources in large urban districts has always been exceptionally hard. It's harder to get access to those resources. It's it's harder to get an adequate amount of those resources. It's harder to get access to evidence-based curriculums that allow students to make appropriate progress. Um, all of those things are harder in a large urban school district than they are in either a better funded suburban district or in the private school system to begin with. On a good day, those things are all harder. And then you layer on this additional burden of COVID. And it's really quite daunting if you are a family that simply doesn't have the resources to access these supports outside of school. It's going to be impactful. We're already seeing it in the collegiate world as well. You know, for students coming out of high poverty schools, the New York Times is reporting that we there are numbers of students who are applying to try to do some sort of post-secondary program. And that could be vocational, any sort of community college, or a regular four-year university. Those numbers are down 33% over last year. FAFSA, the financial aid application, those applications are down 17% over last year at this time. So those are all figures that are showing students who are coming from those environments where resources are difficult are not 
willing to take the risk to try to move forward with education after high school is compared to where they were last year. I'm thinking too, you know, my, I keep hearing this question in my head listening to you is what will the fallout be? What will the fallout be? And I'm thinking, do you anticipate more special education referrals? And I think about all of the ETR meetings that I've sat in and you've probably sat in. And the question, the last question that's always read is, is this referral due to lack of access to the general education setting? Yeah. And I feel like we always blow past that. We always blow past that question. But my question is, do you think that we will have to really dig in and talk about is this special education referral due to COVID? So I think that's a fantastic question. And I think that schools are going to be unwilling to go there because they're going to say they have, you know, done what they could to provide an adequate education and that everybody has had access to that same level of education. Whether you or I might agree that it's adequate or not, it's what they have determined is FAPE or a free and appropriate public education. So they're going to say that, yes, students have been provided with that. So I hear where you're going with that. I don't think schools are going to go in that direction. I think the biggest problem that we are seeing right now as far as eligibility concerns for special education is the normalization of the struggle. So we've just talked about how everyone is struggling, right? Some kids are getting more support outside of school than others, but everyone is struggling. And so what happens when you get to ETR meetings and you have teachers who are filling out rating scales and suddenly they're answering questions and you know how those questions are. They're like, is this student struggling just as much as more than or less than the average student, right? Those are the type of rating scales that teachers fill out when evaluating student need. And the problem is, is that if you have everybody who is struggling, everybody who's failing, everybody who can't figure out all the different platforms that they need to download work from, complete work, upload work, submit it, that makes it really hard to determine if there is actually disability at play or if it is just a function of the educational environment that students are in right now. The struggle is normalized. That is what we are seeing. And that is definitely going to have an impact on eligibility, particularly seeing this with executive functioning right now. Everybody is struggling with executive functioning. So if you have a student maybe who's already on an IEP for a different uh, reason, maybe it's reading, maybe it's math, whatever, um, and they're struggling with the planning and organization of what it takes to complete work right now in this environment, it's going to be really hard to get eligibility for those additional needs because, again, everyone is struggling with that. Wow. I think, too, you know, you're talking about contextualizing the rating scales and, you know, the the notion that the struggle is normalized. Essentially, what we're talking about is the bar has been lowered for everybody. The playing field across the board has been, you know, the bar has been lowered. But I struggle with thinking about, well, our standards have not been lowered. So, you know, I feel like even like you said, on a good day, it was pretty hard even for a typical kid and to rise to the challenges of meeting the, let's just say the common core expectations in some in some areas is already hard. And now we're saying, well, now the bar is being lowered, but our standards are still the same. I just wonder, you know, how do we move forward and remedy this as a community? 
it's an interesting question. And I think really the answer is going to be time in some some aspect. Now, I I am seeing that districts across the board are not as, they're not expecting as much right now. So I think we have lowered the bar a little bit about what we're expecting from students. That's been pretty widely and publicly discussed here in central Ohio with some superintendents coming out with video messages that they are not going to be asking students to complete the same amount of curriculum material that they would have in past years. So I I do think that districts are kind of lowering the bar for that a little bit as well. People have different thoughts on whether that's a good idea, but when it comes down to it, you're just not able to get the same amount of work or work production out of students when you're maybe only seeing them half time, or maybe you're not seeing them at all. You're just seeing them through a screen. It is going to take a long time to get this all figured out and worked out. And the best we can hope for at the moment is that students are meeting, having their needs met as best as possible through their IEPs. It's a it's an incredibly challenging time to be working in special education. That said, there's a lot of teachers and a lot of staff that are really going above and beyond to try to make this work for students. So I don't want it to sound it's like it's all gloom and doom, but there's a lot of people who are doing extraordinary work out there, but it has been very challenging. Yeah. I think, you know, I had an interesting conversation with a colleague of mine on episode one of this podcast about empathy and how important it is to have uh, empathy for your students and for your colleagues. And I, you know, and I was even saying an empathy for yourself as an educator during this time and thinking about just the social emotional development, too, that goes along with these unprecedented times. It's really important. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that any everyone has definitely gotten out of this experience is understanding that academics is really a pretty small portion of the day. <laughs> when you think about what academic work we're asking students to complete in this environment, and then you think about all the other hours that normal in a normal day or normal year, kids would be at school, right? There's so much more that goes into it. There's so much more about the peer interaction, about the interaction between teacher and students and about all of the other things that go on. There's a huge, huge component of that that's there. And there's been a lot of discussion in the educational community of, and this is mostly discussion, I think, from kids who maybe are are on a little more of a typical trajectory, but that, wow, we can get this schoolwork done in a relatively short period of time each day. Like what are the kids doing the rest of the day when they're at school in a normal year? And the answer to that is all of that social emotional piece. That's so important to the development of young people as they mature. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, you wonder, wow, they're really, they may be missing out on that being at home. Like that's a huge part that they're missing out on. And so and the quote was, the quote was from the last episode, if we come out of this pandemic doing things the way we did them before the pandemic, we missed the mark. And so I want to hear from you, what are some of the things that you're hoping to see as, a, as an opportunity for growth in the field? Yeah, I think the two like big takeaways there, um, I think the first one really does speak to social, emotional, and mental health. So there's been a lot of emphasis that we, you know, teenagers in particular, our high school students are in a mental health crisis because of COVID. I'm not saying that I necessarily disagree with that, but I would argue that we have been in a mental health crisis for teenagers and high schoolers for years. And I think if you asked 
any high school principal, special ed director, guidance counselors, anybody else who is working actively with the high school community, mental health has been a massive, massive issue that has been underfunded and under-resourced for many, many years. This is nothing new. It may be a little larger and we may have a bigger spotlight on it because of the forced, some of the forced isolation that COVID has imposed on us. But this is not a new problem. And I am hoping that we continue to have emphasis on emotional and mental well-being for high school students in particular, and what we can do to support better emotional and mental health for those students, you know, in the environment. It is really hard to be a high school student today versus what it was, say, when I grew up years ago and before the age of social media and different pressures and different expectations that these students are having to navigate. And it has been a huge issue for a long time. And I hope that the emphasis stays and I hope that we can look at allocating resources better to support these students and have just a larger quantity and more robust support available for these for these teenagers. So that's a huge thing that I'm hoping will come out of this and will improve. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially because, you know, when we even zoom out a little bit and talk about it in the context of what's been happening in our country and in our world, uh, even just take 2020, the, the education that happens in order to make massive cultural shifts in terms of how we're treating each other as humans, the academic piece is going to be a small part of that. And if we as if we have individuals who are not functioning mentally and emotionally at optimum levels, then how can we expect our collective to? Absolutely. And we can't, you know, we can't expect teenagers to, or or any student, you know, to be able to access and benefit from education if they're not at a point emotionally or socially that they're ready to do so. Um, it really needs to come first on the hierarchy of important things <laughs> is you know, the ability to be present and be able to accept and benefit from instruction. And we have a lot of kids that because of anxiety and depression and other mental challenges that they aren't able to be present at school to benefit from it in the current state. So I'm, I'm hopeful that there can be more emphasis on social emotional well-being as we come out of this for sure. And kind of along the same line, the one thing I really would love public schools to work on as we come out of this COVID situation is to really kind of take stock about what worked and what didn't. Schools have been thrown into this, you know, very quickly into this incredibly new arena of really doing a lot of things virtually and with technology and really adjusting the way they operate. And I think it would be to a tremendous benefit for districts to be able to step back and kind of do a big picture look. Okay. What was really beneficial from this? Was it beneficial to be able to hold parent meetings versus Zoom or to say provide audio recordings of classes for students because that is increased access. It's made it more convenient for parents to be involved with their students' lives. It's made it easier for students to access instruction if they need to listen again, or they zoned out during class, and then they would have access to that recording. There's a lot of really good things that I think could come out of it, but I do think it's going to take schools 
they need time to step back and look and think, wow, that was helpful. That, you know, maybe that particular software was really beneficial for our students, or maybe the way that we conduct communication was really helpful in a certain manner. So I really, I, I desperately hope that schools take that opportunity to take a look at those things. I think we've learned more than ever that education is not a one-size-fits-all situation and that that has also been emphasized during COVID. So I'm hoping that we can benefit and learn from some of these things. Make sure to save the day for two fun events in 2021 in partnership with the Final Third Foundation Mindful Literacy Columbus presents 2021 Summer Writing Camp. Kids entering third to seventh grade will have the opportunity to be a part of this investive writing camp. Save the date for this week of August 8th. Email Megan at mindfulliteracypractice.org for more information. Make sure to mention that you heard about this camp from the podcast and enter a drawing to win 50% of the camp tuition. First Annual Mindful Literacy Columbus Conference for Kids and Their Grownups. After this conclusion of the writing camp, we will hold a community celebration. This will include kids showcasing their work, art, music, yoga, food, and high quality professional presentations for both teachers and parents. Teachers will have the opportunity to learn CE the conference, which will be held on Saturday, August 15th, 2021, will serve as a fundraiser for a non-profit organization. We will also currently accepting presentation proposals from teachers and professionals in the community. Please email Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y, at Stacey at MindfulLiteracyPractice.org. To receive more information about the conference and or the submit of a presentation proposal. What do we need from leadership to take that evaluative process to the next level? Because, you know, to circle back to how we started the conversation with different districts, there's different resources. So some districts may do that and some may not. And so I'm wondering, like, at the federal and state levels, do we... Would it be beneficial to have leadership take the charge and lead this, pro- this evaluative process? I think there is no question that we need someone to take a look at this. The problem is, is that I see what you're saying. And I, I do think that if anything, you know, it is the districts that have the resources for personnel who have the experience or the ability to take a look at these things. Those are going to be the better funded districts. Those are going to be the private schools. The big urban districts are in crisis mode, right? If, you know, if you have 66% of your students who are in chronic absenteeism, you may not have the bandwidth to take a look at, you know, oh, wow, this online curriculum was really effective or I was able to communicate with my students, families, and parents so much better by utilizing this tool. Or so, I mean, I say that in kind of, you know, that's what my hopes and dreams would be for this, whether that is reality from a funding standpoint, I I don't know. I find it, it could be very unlikely for larger districts or urban districts to be able to support that. But I also think that we need to take a look at the opportunity for change and where that comes from, where that funding comes from, for the, the kids who are neediest. 
I don't know. I wish I had the answer for that. It would be great if there was opportunity for grant money or resources to come from the Department of Education nationally to help support some of those programs in our schools that aren't as well funded. But I do think it would be beneficial. Yeah, it always comes back to that equity and access. When I was a classroom teacher, I would often tell myself and my colleagues, well, I can only control what's going on in these four walls. So there's a lot of teachers and student teachers who listen to this podcast and even parents. And so I'm wondering, okay, we can hope for the best from leadership and funding sources, but in terms of equity and access, what can, let's take teachers first, what can teachers do to make sure we're providing more equity and access to all kids? I think the best thing that teachers can always do is, is be in communication with their students, but also their families. I think it means a huge deal to parents to, you know, get touch points from a classroom teacher, whether that's an email or a text message or a phone call or whatever it is to update them on, you know, what is going on with their student or, you know, could their student benefit from, you know, this, could they benefit from, you know, 20 more minutes of reading a week with a parent or something like that to have that communication and touch point, I think is absolutely the most valuable thing. I have seen a lot in COVID that school teams and teachers have kind of been in like a silo, right? Like they're in their own lane of like doing everything they can to make things work, but the communication is not always there. Like they're just in their own lane and we're not always thinking like as a team or in a big picture of what can be best for a particular student. And this pertains specifically to special ed students, for sure. When you really need to have multiple people sometimes working together for the optimal outcome for a student, but so I think communication is absolutely the most important thing that teachers can do. I also think having access or being able to um, direct families to perhaps resources of where they might be able to go to get extra help. If you have a, you know, if your situation is that you're all virtual, at least here locally in Columbus, there are resources and places students can go to get more help. So to be able to point families in that direction and help provide them resources, I think is beneficial. And you uh, shared with me some really great resources for, for parents and teachers regarding COVID. So we'll make sure to share those in the show notes. Thank you so much for that. No problem. So communication is king is what I'm hearing. Always. Yeah. And I'm wondering too, like, do you think that this is a great opportunity for even just for an individual educator or a team of educators who really, we've had, we were forced to step outside the box and be inventive. And when I think about some of our nation's biggest and even our world's biggest issues, I wonder if our traditional way of schooling is going to help us as a globe move forward to solving those problems. And I think about, you know, project-based learning and I think about the massive creative potential inside of kids. And when we're talking about special education, we're often talking about deficits and challenges that kids have, but that also means that there a lot of kids' brains are working differently, which can be can which can be a, a tremendous advantage. I just hope from this challenge of COVID that we, we learn how to do education differently in a way that moves uh, us as a people forward and not trying to keep fitting into a box that, you know, doing things the way we've always done and 
moving forward because that's how we've always done it. I, I agree. I mean, I'm hoping absolutely that, you know, if anything, this encourages flexibility, right? We've had to be extremely flexible since March. I mean, more so than the education system has ever had to be. So if we can be flexible to pull all of our instruction online and to access all sorts of different technologies to make that happen, it would be great if we could see that flexibility extend to how we work individually with students instead of just teaching to a specific curriculum, looking more at how to play to a student's strengths. And this is, again, particularly for students with disabilities and how we can be flexible and focus on topics of interest and and methods of presentation that are um, more accessible to all. And so I, I think, you know, if anything, this experience could just encourage us all to think a little differently and be a little more, a little less rigid in how we do things. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I hope people are feeling, I know at this point, people are, are tired. It has been such a challenge, but I also hope that people are able to reflect and feel energized and empowered to make instructional decisions that are best for kids. And if you have any words of advice for this, what we're hoping is the last leg of this pandemic to teachers and parents, what would it be? Wow. I guess it would, again, the first thing is just to be in communication and be in relationship with students and parents and families. I think that is by far the most important thing that we can be doing as a population right now and as as part of education is to be in communication and in relationship with one another. Because I think ultimately, if students and teachers and parents, there is all a feeling of, of care and concern. I think that is by far the most important thing that we can do. The testing, the data, the everything else, it's all going to come, but it's going to take a while for all of that to filter out. So I think that's the best thing to be in relationship and be in communication right now. I think some parents are feeling very lost as to where their, their child is or what their child is doing or what their child's needs are right now. So I think that can absolutely be the most valuable tool that we have. And hopefully it's not one that's difficult for everyone to access. This is a really tough time. So I think we need to be kind to ourselves and to everyone that we're working with. And that needs to be the guiding principle. I love it. I think that's a perfect note. Everyone is looking for silver linings of this. And I think, you know, being in a relationship and being in communication is definitely a big one that after this pandemic, we should not let go of. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Before we wrap things up, we want to mention one more way from anywhere in the world that you and your students can get involved with Mindful Literacy Columbus. For just $25 a month, you can become a patron member of Mindful Literacy Columbus. Yes, that's right. For less than the cost of a latte a week, you will become a champion for child literacy. And you have the opportunity to give directly back to kids in two ways. First, dues enable staff to grant right, fundraise, and build organizational awareness. Second, patron members are invited to contribute monthly to our publishing house, Beehive Press. The books that your students will curate will then be sold to generate even more scholarship money for your students. Beehive Press is an imprint of mindful literacy. 
here is what patron members will get for their $25 per month. Submit one book by kids or kids or beehive pets per month. Receive video lesson plans on how to engage kids in the writing process and PDF graphic organizers to help with the pre-writing process. It includes help with book layout, one-to-one final editing session, marketing, sales, and logistics of the book. Receive the proof of the book for free. It includes copyright and ISBN number. Each published book that is sold gives back to MLC. 50% goes to scholarships, 50% goes to honors. To become a patron member, go to mindfulliteracypractice.org slash donate. Thank you for listening to Mindful Literacy Podcast. May you be inspired, energized, and share this love with those in your care. We are also grateful to have you as a part of our community. If you are enjoying the content in this podcast, please share this with your friends and colleagues. Subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please also take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram, mindful.literacy.cbus. We want to hear from you. What topics do you want to uncover next? Who is doing these amazing things on the field of education that we should be talking about in season three? Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace.